I'm a full-time queer activist leading an LGBT community-based nonprofit with a focus on LGBT health equity, and it happened to me too. By it, I mean a negative experience with a healthcare professional because of my queer identity. I made an appointment with a dermatologist for a baseline screening for skin cancer, but at every turn, the doctor's well-intentioned team made me question if I should be there at all. The intake forms were unnecessarily restrictive, biased news programming was on full display in the waiting room, magazines in the waiting room did not cater to patients like me, and comments from clinic staff displayed brazen cultural incompetence. I didn't go back for the doctor-recommended follow-up. I'm privileged with health insurance, access to private transportation, and the ability to take time away from my job to drive a distance for a medical appointment. So I was able to find a new LGBT-inclusive dermatologist an hour away. For many other LGBT consumers of healthcare, the geographic barrier to accessing culturally appropriate LGBT-affirming care from a specialist might be too great a barrier to overcome. Hello, and welcome to the Lehigh Valley with Love podcast. I'm your host, George Wacker. The aim of this podcast is to connect you to the stories and personalities living in or affecting the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. We talk to business owners, musicians, authors, students, politicians, and maybe even you. On this week's episode, I talked to Adrian Shanker, founder and executive director of the Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center located in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We talk about the book he edited and contributed to, Bodies and Barriers, Queer Activists on Health, which tackles the pervasive health issues queer people experience throughout their lives through the artfully articulated data-informed essays by 26 activists. Bodies and Barriers has been named by NBC News as one of the 10 LGBTQ books to watch out for in 2020, and it includes a foreword by Rachel L. Levine, currently the Pennsylvania Secretary of Health, and an afterword by Kate Kendall, who for 24 years led the National Center for Lesbian Rights as their executive director. There's a lot to listen to here, so let's get started. Adrian, it's a pleasure to have you back. You're a repeat podcast guest, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Uh, I, I, I enjoy Lee I Value with Love a lot. Great. You're one of the few. So I will take that as a compliment. Um, but we're here today to talk about your book that you edited. And I was reading about it this morning uh, before you came on here. And NBC News listed this as the, one of the 10 LGBTQ books to watch out for in 2020 by the Lambda Literary, Literary Foundation also listed it as a most anticipated newly released LGBTQ book. That's a lot of high praise. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I know that we're going to talk about some of the topics in here, but let's talk about the fact that you're getting some really good press out of the book itself. Yeah. Uh, Bodies and Barriers, Queer Activists on Health is a book that was sorely needed, um, not only for LGBTQ people, but for healthcare workers, for policymakers, for people that care about healthcare reform, for people that care about Medicare for all. Um, for activists for the LGBT community and for health equity, this book was needed. This is the first book uh, that's been published that presents stories from LGBT people, uh, patients, telling our own stories about the care that we've experienced, the challenges accessing this care. And as a result, it has garnered significant press. I mean, um, uh, I'm, I'm really humbled by the press that, that uh, happened around this right. book. There's been excellent reviews. Um, but ultimately, what I'm most excited about is is not you know each media article about the book, but mm-hmm. uh, the hope that that doctors and nurses and social workers, as well as you know legislators, school board members, will pick up this book and learn about um, the challenges that LGBTQ people face every, every 
you know, along every step of the way when accessing healthcare or when accessing healthcare information, whether, you know, students in schools trying to access sex education information or uh, people visiting their doctor and, you know, um, not, not really knowing how to navigate challenging circumstances. What are, before we talk about some of the, the writings in there, educate me then a little bit. What are some of the challenges that maybe I don't even realize that somebody in the LGBTQ community would face doing something like going to the doctor or getting healthcare of any kind? Yeah, so I think that there's this perception that when we talk about LGBT health, we're talking about you know HIV prevention or sexual health. And really, LGBT health is much broader than that. LGBT healthcare is primary healthcare. You know, uh, LGBT people, um, we need healthcare at, at all stages of our lives. And mm-hmm. fortunately, we don't receive equitable care. Uh, and so LGBT health issues include everything from, you know, thinking about, you know, cancer and diabetes to think, the, you know, chronic diseases, right? To thinking about, you know, prevention, um, uh, healthy eating, active living, tobacco cessation. Um, and then we have disparities in the community. So LGBT people experience things like addiction and recovery uh, at higher, uh, sorry, LGBT people experience things like alcohol, tobacco, and other drug usage at higher rates. Recovery is, is an added challenge for the LGBT community. Um, we, we experience challenges around the lack of information about sexual health, um, especially as it relates to LGBT health needs. Um, and then the, the specific challenges for the community in terms of you know, geographic barriers to care, lack of access to providers that specialize in LGBT health needs in our communities. And is it something where there's there's not enough doctors who specialize in it? There's not enough information for someone in the community to to find, like to, to work with? You know, what are some of these barriers that are keeping people from having that equi- equitable care? Well, for example, um, pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP is a once-a-day pill that can prevent HIV. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's something that, that primary care providers should be able to provide for their, for their patients, or at the very least, to be able to provide enough information with a referral for their patients. But instead, most primary care providers here in the Lehigh Valley and beyond continue to say that they don't know how to prescribe PrEP. It's, it's a very easy, um, you know, prescription to manage for a patient. And, you know, most, most people don't have an infectious disease doctor. If you don't, if you're not living with an infection, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, the lack of access from primary care doctor is a barrier to care. Similarly, uh, you know, transgender people who might be looking for a trans affirming endocrinologist to provide hormone therapy, um, you know, are sometimes told by endocrinologists that, you know, while they provide hormone therapy for other patients, that they don't feel qualified to provide hormone therapy for transgender patients when there's literally, you know, there's literally no difference in skill set for the provider between providing hormone therapy for, uh, you know, someone living with cancer or for a transgender person seeking gender, uh, gender affirming care. So the, the lack of access to providers locally is a really big challenge. And is that something where you need to just promote the education? of? Or do you feel like these doctors are doing this on purpose or is it something where they're just not educated? Like it seems uh, like if it's so easy, they should just, they're absolutely not doing it on purpose. I mean, okay. I think that most healthcare providers, they're taught to do no harm. You know, healthcare providers want to do no harm, most of them. I mean, the vast majority are trying to do the right thing. But, you know, they didn't receive information in medical school and nursing school and social work school to teach them how to provide the care that LGBTQ people need. And, uh, you know, ultimately, 
healthcare providers do need to do better. Hospitals need to do better. Pharmaceutical companies need to do better. Health insurance companies need to do better. And LGBT people need to tell our stories and demand pain. Uh, that's ultimately what needs to happen is that there needs to be a, um, a systems change in our healthcare system that ensures that LGBTQ people and all people experience health equity, the lived reality of the attainment of the highest quality of health for all of us. And that leads us to some of you talk about stories. You have 26 of them uh, from well-known and emerging queer activists, including a forward by our own Rachel Levine, who's a Pennsylvania Secretary of Health, which is fun. Um, can we talk a little bit? I, I don't know how which ones you want to maybe highlight or talk about, but can you go into some of these stories? Which of them should should we maybe take a take a look at? Yeah, I'll, I'll share two two stories. One of them, and I know that you own. said too, you had some local uh, authors yeah. in there too, so we definitely want to talk about them. Uh, I'll start with a little bit from my own story. I'll, I'll read a very short piece sure. from the introduction to the book. Um, I'm a full time queer activist leading an LGBT community based nonprofit with a focus on LGBT health equity, and it happened to me too. By it, I mean a negative experience with a healthcare professional because of my queer identity. I made an appointment with a dermatologist for a baseline screening for skin cancer, but at every turn, the doctor's well-intentioned team made me question if I should be there at all. The intake forms were unnecessarily restrictive, biased news programming was on full display in the waiting room, magazines in the waiting room did not cater to patients like me, and comments from clinic staff displayed brazen cultural incompetence. I didn't go back for the doctor-recommended follow-up. I'm privileged with health insurance, access to private transportation, and the ability to take time away from my job to drive a distance for a medical appointment. So I was able to find a new LGBT-inclusive dermatologist an hour away. For many other LGBT consumers of healthcare, the geographic barrier to accessing culturally appropriate LGBT-affirming care from a specialist might be too great a barrier to overcome. Yeah, I just want to stop you before you go to these. I would never, you know, think about that. And it's, it is, it's disheartening to think that you could be in a waiting room like that with obvious things going around you that make you feel uncomfortable and it sucks. Um, yeah, and a lot of people don't think about, you know, dermatology as an area where you need LGBT uh, affirming yeah. provider. And, you know, my answer to that is, well, you know, it's not like gay people have skin, right? Like, um, like, yeah. you know, if, if we're, L if there's LGBT people and we have a body part, we need healthcare providers that help to provide affirming care for our body, um, uh, including for our skin. Right. And dermatology right. is a very personal appointment. Anyone who's ever been to a dermatologist knows how personal that appointment can feel. Right. You, know, you get into the little skimpy robe and they check every inch of your skin, uh, and right. look for sign, you know, early signs of cancer. And it's super important. These cancer screenings are very important. But it's very important that that all people, including LGBT people, feel safe and comfortable with their doctor. And I would think that, say somebody else, you in your situation, you said, "Hey, I'm going to go somewhere and find better care." Like you said, you had the the um, the privilege to be able to travel for that. What if there's somebody who has that experience and is like, you know what? I'm just not going back. I, I you know, I, I could see that being a, a big issue that they just decide that they don't want to maybe seek health care because they've had such a bad experience. Oh, absolutely. Uh, data in Pennsylvania shows that half of lesbian, gay, and bisexual people and three quarters of transgender people in Pennsylvania say that they've had negative healthcare experiences from doctors. And wow. as a result, they fear seeking healthcare. Fear. Um, right. so Which means that you could have something terrible going on that I would just say, hey, I'm just going to go to the doctor for it. 
Whereas in, in their mind, they might be like, well, I, I had a really felt, you know, threatened in that situation. Why would I go back? Exactly. I wanted to share one other story by a local yeah. author in the book. So the authors in this book, by the way, there's 26 authors. They're from around the world, but there are four authors from the Lehigh Valley. One of them is Elisa Bowman. Um, and Elisa writes, when I learned that my second grader was transgender, I found myself explaining who my child was over and over again to a long list of people, my parents, my husband's parents, my siblings, extended family, teachers, administrators, friends, parents of my child's friends. They went on and on. One person I didn't bother to tell, my child's pediatrician. I ghosted him instead. At the time, I didn't even know why. I'd never heard anyone in that particular doctor's office say anything offensive. Yet I just couldn't shake the feeling that my son's first doctor would be either completely uninformed, best case scenario, or openly hostile, worst case scenario. Now, years later, with the benefit of hindsight, I know precisely what made me uneasy. It had nothing to do with what my son's doctor said or did. Rather, it had everything to do with what he did not say or do. Talk to us about our child's gender. Uh, my transgender son had never behaved, presented himself, or carried himself like a typical girl. By second grade, his short hair was nearly buzzed, and he wore ties and only allowed me to shop for him in the boys' section of the department store. His hobbies centered on catching world wrestling entertainment, memorizing Pokemon characters, and play playing Bakugan and kickball. His transness was on full display and no loudly noticeable to just about anyone who had the slightest inkling of the science of gender diversity. During several doctor visits, I'd even mentioned telling signs, how my child refused to go to the bathroom at school, for example. There had been plenty of opening, yet our pediatrician never once asked us questions about our son's gender, nor suggested that our child might be trans. It was akin to treating a child with high blood sugar and never once saying anything to the child's parents about type 1 diabetes. And that's um, a local author, you said? Or yeah, uh, Lisa Bowman lives in Emmaus, and um, you know, she's one of many um, people in this book who talked about the, the challenges navigating care and yeah. as a parent of a transgender kid. Um, but the experiences of LGBTQ people accessing healthcare are pervasive throughout our entire lives. Absolutely. I, I, again, I'm a uh, father of a four-year-old. And I've never once given thought to, you know, when you, you obviously give thought to who your pediatrician is when they're in there, but this is a level of thing, you know, a level that I've never had to um, even consider. And, you know, to, to yeah. feel that people are choosing maybe to not go down that healthcare route because of this is disheartening. And, you know, the people that don't have a say in who their pediatrician are, are usually the kid, the patient. Right. Because, you know, they're, as in, in your case, you know, your kid is four, you said, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people that are uh, of that age, you know, rely on their parents to make their medical decisions for them, right. uh, as is necessary. But uh, for, for many LGBT youth, um, you know, they, they may not have family members that are supportive that will, you know, look for a new pediatrician. And, um, you know, th that might mean uh, that, you know, uh, that they don't get information that's needed, that they don't get healthcare that they need, um, uh, pediatricians that don't uh, appropriately um, encourage, you know, HPV vaccination, for example, um, mm -hmm. uh, or who, uh, who don't um, have adequate conversations about sexual health with teenagers, um, uh, who aren't asking the right questions because either they haven't been trained appropriately, or maybe they're uncomfortable themselves. But uh, ultimately, pediatric care must be LGBT inclusive. And 
I think Elisa's story about her son is a good example of why. And what what would be, I mean, I don't want to say end game, but is there a goal where you try to educate doctors within medical school? I mean, where does this, should this begin? Yeah, so right now, the average amount of time spent in medical schools dedicated to LGBT health is four hours, four lecture hours, not four credit hours. So, um, you know, that's not enough time to really learn about a patient population that experiences significant health disparities throughout our lives. Uh, it's a little bit better in nursing, counseling, and social work schools, but uh, the reality is that health professionals, students in health professions are not being trained adequately to serve the LGBT patient population. One of the changes that's needed is clinical changes, and part of that is training, and part of it's also, you know, prioritization and leadership among health network insurance. You read from two yourself and another author. What are some of the other, uh, there's 26 more stories in there. Are there a few that you could mention that, I know that we have some local ones in there too. Yeah, um, I'll share one that's, uh, this one's not local, but it's very, okay. uh, very, very telling. It's by Liz Margulies, who founded the National LGBT Cancer Network. Okay. Uh, and Liz lives in New York City, and she writes called Gender, Cancer, and Me. That's the name of her chapter. She writes, I don't have cancer so far. That is a good thing. But over a 10-year period, I accompanied four queer women to the edge of the cancer cliff and then watched them all tumble over it and die. These were not just four people I knew and lost. They were four of my favorite people on this planet. Adria, Ruth, Joe, and Shirley all died of ovarian cancer in their 50s. During that same decade, three other friends were treated for breast cancer. What are the odds of this? Slim, I would have thought. But it turns out that this massive loss is not the product of bum luck or a poor choice of friends on my part. This is what health disparities look like in real life. When I was forced to understand this by falling face first in my grief and rage, I set out to tell the world. I was in my 50s too. Please don't pull that inaccurate trope that cancer doesn't discriminate. I've heard it way too many times, and I've lost my patience with explaining, yes, rogue cells are rogue cells, but we cannot tease out the lives of the errant cells from the social conditions in which the whole body lives. So, you know, the idea of, of science or medicine being somehow divorced from bias, just that it, it doesn't make sense. Um, oncology is not an unbiased science. Psychology is not an unbiased science. And that's why we need healthcare providers, mental health, physical health, providers who provide care equitably that are trained and informed and um, and can you know ensure that patients get prevention uh, that they need preventative screenings um and you know yet we know that that doesn't happen right and for someone that's going through that locally can you provide help to them if, if they're if they don't if they're looking at this and saying you know i'm hearing stories or i'm scared to go to the doctor or can you provide support or kind of point them in the right direction? Sure. I mean, first off, um, Bradbury Sullivan LGBT Community Center, um, which where I, I, I lead the center, uh, mm -hmm. we frequently provide referrals for community members that call us and ask for information about how to find an LGBT welcoming uh, clinician in the area. Um, but we also do health promotion and we actively partner with healthcare providers and healthcare organizations to promote things like cervical pap tests for people who have a cervix, um, to promote tobacco cessation, promote uh, mammograms, to uh, encourage COVID testing if people feel sick, you know. Um, and you know, we, we've worked with providers at both, you know, Leah Valley Health Network, St. Luke's Health Network, as well as uh, private clinics in the area. 
there are a number of providers in the Lehigh Valley that will provide LGBT affirming and welcoming care at all stages of people's lives. Um, and we know that lots of community members just don't know where to turn to find that LGBT right. welcoming provider. So, um, you know, community members are welcome to reach out to us. Our, our emails are on our website, BradburySullivanCenter.org. And all of that is in our notes. If you want to just click right off, you can find that in the podcast notes. I want to talk a little bit about um, the book itself. You know, I'm, I always, anybody who comes on and talks about a book, I want to find out how you did it because it's really interesting to me. You know, this is different. You, you edited, I mean, you also wrote um, in here, but you also combined these and, and edited this. What was the process here? When did it come to your head? Hey, this is something I want to do. I'm going to get the ball rolling. And, and how did it come to fruition? Well, that, that experience that I shared, my own experience with the dermatologist was really an impetus for putting this book together. Um, I, after that experience, I was very upset about it. And I called my friends. I called a whole bunch of friends and said, this is an experience I just had. And every single one of them told me a similar experience that they had had mm-hmm. with a different kind of healthcare provider. And I started thinking more about how these stories are unheard. And we need to make sure that they are, that they are heard loudly and clearly so that even our doctors um, and uh, so the idea of bodies and barriers practices on health was really about creating a conversation about uh, the healthcare needs that LGBT people have from birth through death throughout our lives uh, and to try to present it in a way that's compelling to try to present it in a way that's readable to people without advanced degrees medical degrees uh, so these are mostly first person narratives our own stories that we're sharing um, and these stories can help to provide information that's necessary for clinicians. They can be helpful for policymakers from, you know, uh, school boards to, uh, mm-hmm. to state legislators, to um, people who work for insurance companies and make policy about insurance um, coverage. Uh, and also that it could be accessible for activists, activists for the LGBT community and also activists for, for a healthcare system that works for all of us. So, you know, anyone who's fighting for Medicare for All mm-hmm. should understand that the stories of minority communities, including the LGBT community, and how the healthcare system has failed us, right? Uh, anyone who's advocating for, um, you know, uh, for LGBT civil rights should understand how LGBT people are uniquely affected by our broken healthcare system. And, you know, th- these, are, these are stories that are not only important to LGBT people, but also important to anyone who cares about healthcare in America. And that's really why this book was needed. Yeah, I had a question. I was thinking um, about, you talked about how kids can't pick their uh, pediatricians. I bet there are some situations where people in the LGBTQ community are maybe stuck with a healthcare provider, or, or maybe they're stuck with somebody due to whatever circumstance that may be. Um, and what if that provider isn't open to or maybe they're having some issues with them. Are there, is there any advice to how you can make that process better or that situation better? Yeah. So because of, you know, barriers to care, including geographic barriers to care, many rural LGBT community members don't often have access to LGBT welcoming providers. There's entire counties in Pennsylvania where there's, you know, no trans affirming uh, therapist, for example. Um, So uh, we definitely have some very rural counties in our state where these issues are more pervasive. Also, LGBT older adults frequently, um, you know, don't have access to the ability to drive an hour away, um, mm-hmm. receive care from an LGBT affirming provider. Um, we're lucky in the Lehigh Valley that we do have a number of LGBT affirming providers. 
but uh, there are certainly specialties where um, where it still it still is necessary to drive to Philadelphia uh, or yeah. New York to, to receive affirming care. Um, for people who don't have the option of driving a distance to receive affirming care, um, you know, I recommend first off being out to your provider. Uh, disclose your identity as an LGBT person to your healthcare provider and make it clear that that your expectation is that you're going to be provided care that is uh, in line with the highest standards of, of medical care. When, when people disclose their identity to their healthcare providers, it means that their providers can do a better job providing care for their health. So that's really important. But it is important that people feel safe doing that. If someone feels unsafe with the doctor, I mean, in the Lehigh Valley, there are plenty of other options. So if you feel unsafe with your doctor, find a different doctor or contact us at Bradbury Self Center. We'll make some referrals for you. Um, uh, and, and, you know, lastly, if, if it's a provider that, that is, you know, trying to do the right thing, but like they're getting it wrong, recommend to them that they invest in some training. You know, uh, all healthcare professionals have to do continuing education every year to maintain their, their professional licenses. So encourage them, you know, say, you know, I've been your patient for X number of years. And I have to say, you know, it doesn't always feel that you are fully knowledgeable about the healthcare needs of the LGBT community. And I'd, I'd like to encourage you to use some of your continuing education time this year to, to learn. I'd love to stay with you as a patient, but I really need to feel like my healthcare providers understand my health. Yeah, that's great. And, and I'm glad that you're able to have advice like that. And I'm glad that you're able to have the resource where people who do feel maybe a little lost can come to Bradbury Sullivan and get some more information. Um, to finish up, I know that I can, I know where I can buy your book, but where can people find it? Is this on Amazon everywhere? Do you want them to go to a specific link? Is that better? So uh, the book Bodies and Barriers, Queer Activists on Health is available wherever books are sold. I especially want to encourage folks to support local bookstores, though. So, mm -hmm. you know, here in the Lehigh Valley, Let's Play Books and Emmaus carries the book and, and, you know, in the store. And they're a really wonderful local bookstore. We should all desire that our bookstores can survive this pandemic. I agree. And, uh, buying from local bookstores is a great way to do that. For folks who want to buy online, I, you know, it's available on bookshop.org, which also supports local bookstores um, or on any other online website, including like the Voldemort booksellers. Um, yeah. Doesn't. You know, I, don't I know. know. Um, it's like they uh, need more press. We'll, we'll go with bookshop.org. Um, but, you know, it is available wherever books are sold, uh, including with the publisher directly at pmpress.org. And, you know, uh, I'll humbly add that if anyone, since it is in the Lehigh Valley, is interested in a signed copy of the book, uh, you know, we have copies at Bradbury Sullivan Center that be, um, you know, signed and, and either picked up with social distancing or shipped. Hey, I know that you're being humble. Um, and this is really important information, uh, but this is exciting for, I would think for you personally, do you have aspirations to maybe look at doing more of these types of uh, books in the future? Is that something that it was your process fun enough to maybe want to do it again? Or was it a lot of work? And maybe this is your only one. It was both fun and also a lot of work on another, another project All right. uh, currently. And, uh, but you know, right now during, during this pandemic, it's important that, you know, um, in addition to staying focused on keeping our whole community safe, you know, ourselves, mm -hmm. each other, um, that we're also keeping our minds busy. So I've been writing a lot during, during uh, this COVID-19 pandemic to, uh, you know, to keep myself occupied. And uh, it's something that, you know, we, we all need things to do in the weekends, evenings. And for me, reading and writing is, is one of the things that I really enjoy. So 
I will certainly be writing more and editing more. Um, I just want to mention, you know, yeah. I, I, I would be remiss not to say on a, a episode about what we're talking about LGBT health that mm-hmm. you know, COVID nineteen is still a dangerous virus in our community, and LGBTQ people are uniquely affected. If community members are, you know, uncertain about, especially LGBTQ people are uncertain about, you know, where to go or how to receive um, uh, information about about COVID, uh, Bradbury Sullivan Center has a website dedicated just to that. BradburySullivanCenter.org/slash/coronavirus. Um, it has a whole bunch of information about it, and you know we we have talked at length with both St. Luke's and Lehigh Valley Health Network, and both are ensuring that the COVID nineteen testing that they're that they're doing is LGBT welcoming, and we just really want to encourage people to get tested if they feel sick. Right. Hey, I want to appreciate you coming on and giving out this. This is a lot of information. Um, be sure to check out the website. We have all the links in there, including the ones that you just mentioned. Um, and I want to thank you again for coming on. This is a lot to take in. I want to read it too. So I'm going to be in touch. Uh, and I appreciate you taking some time. Do you, it's funny. We've been doing this for so long that this is the second time. And I feel like it was a year ago when we talked, but it was only a couple of months ago. But you're right. Just staying busy, staying active. And I think and most importantly, continuing to learn during this time um, is something that can you know, really keep your mind going and not so full of anxiety and. It's just been a wild time. A wild time for <laughs> sure. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, thank you. All the best of luck. And I hope to talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Adrian. Be sure to check our show notes for all the links to get more information on bodies and barriers, queer activists on health. Uh, once again, my name is George Wacker with Leah Valley with Love Podcast. If you want to get on here or reach out, get in touch with us, uh, the best podcast in Lehigh Valley, according to a couple readers by Leah Valley Style, hit us up. Info at lehighvalleywithlovemedia.com. We'll talk to you soon. Insurance Agency is family owned and operated since 1986. What else happened in 1986? Haley's Comet flew by, and that was pretty cool. The Burke Insurance Agency is located at 3446 Freemansburg Avenue in Bethlehem Township, and they represent Erie, Grange, and Progressive Insurance Companies. Tom and Kathleen are some of the nicest people in the Lehigh Valley, for real. They actually get to know their customers and care for them as if they were part of their own family. It's how a small business is supposed to be. They are also community-minded and support many nonprofits, which they are very passionate about. Give them a call at 610-691-3743 or find them on Facebook. Everything, again, is in our show notes. Don't wait around like Haley's comment called Burke Insurance today.